Welcome to the Mornings with Sue and Andy podcast for Monday, January 10th. We begin with a look at the funding of emergency management systems in Canada, which have obviously been put to the test during the pandemic. We speak with a professor of disaster and emergency studies about just how prepared we are as a nation for future emergencies and what we can do to improve the current systems that are in place. Next, we know that overconsumption of alcohol can be bad for our health, but now a new study claims even moderate drinking may be a concern health-wise. We get details on the research from Dr. Ted Jablonski, our on-call family physician. Then it's a new show hitting the airwaves here on 770 CHQR and across the Chorus Radio Network. We meet show host Ben O'Hara-Byrne for details on what listeners can expect to hear on A Little More Conversation, which airs weeknights 8 p.m. to 11 p.m. And finally, on this edition of Motivational Monday, we look at what's in store for the next 12 months ahead in the context of numerology. We speak with Vicki McKinnon, intuitive numerologist, for some good news. As according to Vicki, there are many positives ahead for us in 2022. How prepared is Canada to respond to emergencies, and do we need to change how we fund Canada's emergency management system? This morning, we're joined by Jack Lindsay, Associate Professor and Chair of Applied Disaster and Emergency Studies Department at Brandon University. Good morning to you, Jack. Good morning, Andrew. Good morning, Sue. Well, let's uh, get to the heart of the matter and the funding of our emergency management system. How do we compare as a nation uh, to other countries, for example? Well, that's a, a very tough question because every emergency management system is tailored to the country. But what we do know is that uh, communities and countries that experience more disasters, more events that really exceed their normal ability to cope, um, tend to put more effort into these kinds of measures. Um, what's important is that we're talking about the emergency management system that's behind the scenes, behind the emergency responders and what we see on television, but it's the professionals that do the long-term planning, recovery planning, hazard reduction work. That's where um, we're really suffering. And is it, I mean, is it fair to kind of compare, say, a pandemic to an earthquake or a forest fire, for example? Is this something that we just really haven't experienced, so the, 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 the protocols weren't yet in place for something like this, an emergency like this? Thanks, Sue. Yes, I think that what we're experiencing with the pandemic is so much different than what we're used to, say, with um, the flooding that Calgary had um, a while back. They tend to be short sharp events, we respond to them, um, the media is really focused, and then we move on. Uh, but the pandemic sort of dragging things out, and we're really seeing um, this difference And that a lot of these issues around uh, the public health measures and others need to be better supported by emergency management, but the system's just not entirely there. You mentioned we say the emergency management system and the funding, we're talking behind the scenes, big pictures, but I'm wondering... When you filter it down and, and break it down to province to province, does funding differ depending on which province you're in, or does every province get the exact same amount of resources? No, emergency management is um, primarily a provincial responsibility, uh, so we don't get money from the federal government to the provinces for it. Uh, and it does vary a lot across the provinces, and it varies very much between community and community. So a city like Calgary... Uh, will have a very good and does have a very good emergency management system, a top-of-the-line emergency operations center and other things. But we have rural municipalities that just pay $100 a month to a volunteer. That's not the same. And we need to 
look at why the legislation creates those kinds of situations. So, Jack, is, would that be something that you think should be changed then if it is just, you know, province to province? Should it be a, a federally mandated thing, this emergency department that would then oversee everything going on in the entire country? Or is that just too big? Well, and that comes back to your first question. In the United States, the Federal Emergency Management Agency does have a much more response-oriented national role. They have equipment and trucks and services. We don't do that through Public Safety Canada. Um, For us, constitutionally, most of the responsibilities land on the province. The things that we need to do in emergencies and before, like land use planning, fall to the provinces. So it, it should be provincial, but we should be more consistent with our legislation. Professor Lindsay, can we look at maybe the pandemic and, you know, the, the surprise and the, you know, magnitude of this that uh, brought emergency management to the forefront, something we probably never thought about or most Canadians didn't think about before. Could this be an unintended positive consequence that it's time for us to look at this system? Well, I, I hope it is. Um, we did look at the system the last time after the 2001 um, terrorist attacks in the states. That's what gave us Public Safety Canada. Um, it's been almost 20 years, and there hasn't been a lot of progress um, in that direction federally. And provincially, we still are caught um, with this dichotomy, especially between rural and urban emergency management. I think the thing with the pandemic we have to remember, though, is that we had been planning for a pandemic, probably influenza, um, for decades, and still we were caught flat-footed. And I think that, again, reflects whether or not we have enough presence between disasters. Professor, let's talk about, um, obviously, we're seeing increasing extreme weather patterns, whether it's flooding or fires, etc. So does the government need to reevaluate it, whether it be provincially or federally, sort of relook at emergency funding and, and how decisions are made as we move forward? Because these extreme weather incidents are not going to go away. In fact, we're more than likely going to see more of them, right? Um, yes, and and even to stay out of the whole climate change conversation, mm-hmm. we are just packing more people into places like Vancouver that have earthquake risks or into the, um, some of the maritime provinces where they have hurricane risks. We're still going to be getting bigger disasters because our communities are getting bigger. Um, and then if you add on the climate instability, then um, we certainly do need to be moving forward. This is something, uh, Jack, that I've never thought of in the sense that, you know, perhaps we have to get urban planning you know, in line as well, something that we should consider when it comes to emergency management. Absolutely. And um, again, back to your first question, what other countries, New Zealand has land use planning legislation and emergency management legislation that are actually linked together and require um, each of them to to take action. Emergency management has to do the hazard and risk assessment. Land use planning has to deal with those identified risks. We don't have that in a lot of our provinces either. What's the land use uh, regulations? What does that involve? Well, it it could be things like um, backing away from rivers or um, oceanfront. It may be, we we tend to focus on things like not building on um, landslide-prone hill slopes. But we could also be looking at, do we locate vulnerable populations like seniors next to railway lines? There are a lot of things that we could be thinking about if it's a safety-first sort of mentality. I'm wondering, you know, something to what uh, Sue said there, in the sense, and you brought it back to the fact that you know, urban and uh, you know emergency management, how we build our cities, where we live, is, is a, a huge part of it. Uh, but at the same time, I'm wondering, is it a case that we just have to accept we should spend more dollars, or should we use these dollars more smartly moving ahead? Well, 
I think we need to use the money wisely. You're right. Um, and I've had colleagues on my LinkedIn telling me that it's not about more money, it's about using it better. Um, I think it's sometimes, though, especially around the, the big-ticket items in terms of reducing risks, like um, uh, stop banks or, or dikes along a river, that's money that costs up front that politicians won't see a return on until decades later when we don't have a flood. And that's a very hard sell for a lot of local governments, and we need to work on, on how that can happen better. Jack, how much do we spend on emergency management in this country? Oh, <laughs> another another very tough question to answer. Um, some communities like uh, Calgary wrap emergency management into their fire departments, and so it becomes more difficult to extract out exactly what is just emergency management. Um, and as I said, some small communities um, barely pay an, an honorarium. But I do know that when we look at the some of the grants in particular that we can compare to the states, um, very much... Uh, similar kind of community grants, uh, they're um, five, even ten times more per capita than what we provide in Canada. So there is, there is still a, a gap between what we're doing and other countries are, are tackling. Interesting and uh, certainly a timely topic. Thanks for your time this morning, oh, Jack. Thank you very much for having me. Thank you. That is Jack Lindsay, Associate Professor and Chair of Applied Disaster and Emergency Studies, the, uh, the Emergency Studies Department, rather, at Brandon University. Well, before you uncork your favorite bottle of wine or crack that beer to unwind, you might want to hear the details of a new study on alcohol consumption. According to new research, the common belief that a moderate amount of alcohol actually prevents health benefits is wrong. To talk about the findings, we're joined this morning by Dr. Ted Jablonski, our on-call family physician. Good morning, Dr. J. Good morning. And first of all, I have to say that this is not my news. Like, I didn't make this up. I'm just relaying. I'm, I'm the messenger here. Yeah, I was going to say, in other words, don't shoot the messenger. Okay, so exactly. booze is bad. Tell us about this study. So it's interesting. This study is, is an amalgamation of a lot of different studies that have been coming over the past few years. So it started out with you know, one author making a statement, and then all of a sudden a second, and then a third, and then all of a sudden now we're having a multitude of studies that are coming up showing similar uh, things. So uh, what that's saying is we always thought that just uh, a small amount of alcohol, one to two drinks, moderate use, was somewhat protective to the cardiovascular system, meaning you'd like less likely to heart attacks, strokes if you drank a small amount, as opposed to if you drank nothing or if you drank a lot. Mm-hmm. And now even that has uh, come to task as this might not be true at all. There may be no safe level of drinking. So where, I'm wondering where something like this goes, Dr. Jablonski, asking for a friend, in that, you know, before, like you say, and I remember my grandma saying that the doctor said, hey, a sip of brandy is good for me, and, and we had these guidelines by Health Canada. Does this mean things are going to change immediately, or do we still need more information on this? Because, you know, you got to understand that from the listener's perspective and from my perspective, it seems like there's a different study every week. Yeah. Yeah, and I think there will be some time before this changes. I think the biggest change, though, may come more on the cancer side than on the the cardiovascular side. So even if this is not protective for cardiovascular, if this is a potential uh, potential cancer-causing problem, you might start seeing labels now on alcohol. And this is what they're looking at. The same way uh, early on with smoking, smoking is not harmful, smoking doesn't cause cancer, all of a sudden, data comes out that says, yes, it actually does cause cancer. And all of a sudden, we have to label things to say that. So there may be now a label on alcohol. It's happening around the world where they're putting a label saying, you know, this can cause cancer. 
so be careful or limit usage or don't drink at all. So do we know exactly what in the alcohol might in fact be responsible for causing a cancer? So uh, interesting. I'm not sure that I've read anything where it says something specific in alcohol, particularly wine is just very, very complex. Uh, so it might be the, the actual ethanol, the actual alcohol part of it that is the problem. And there may be some medicinal things outside of that, like a de-alcoholized uh, booze might actually still carry some benefit. But the actual alcohol, the actual ethanol might be the actual mm. problem here. Okay, so when you say the ethanol, are we, so does this mean when we're using the term alcohol that it's wine, spirits, beer, all of it uh, equal footing? Yeah, and again, this is this is problematic, right? Because when you're looking at studies, it's exceedingly difficult to tease out a lot, and usually things are lumped into one to dr- one to two drinks a day, which might be wine, which might be hard liquor, spirits might be uh, beer. So uh, very difficult. So again, I've not heard that it's one thing or another, but I would guess it is the alcohol component, not not the um, sort of the peripheral things uh, of how that is made or, or whether it's a beer, a wine, or a spirit. Well, thank you for bringing the study to our attention. looks like we'll have to dig a little deeper on this and see if there is, you know, any, any concrete kind of details that we can look at in it. But uh, th- uh, sh- thank you for telling us <laughs> this. <laughs> Thankfully, it was uh, after Christmas, right? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, thank you for saving it till uh, January. Thanks, Dr. J. Always appreciate okay. your insight. You betcha. Dr. Ted Jablonski, our on-call family physician. A little more conversation. That's a bit of a play on the song title we know so well. Hits the airwaves tonight here on Chorus Radio with a look at the new show and what we can expect. We are joined by Ben O'Hara Byrne. Good morning to you, Ben. Good morning, Sue and Andy. Thanks for having me. Glad to hear it's warmed up in Calgary. Thank goodness it's Finally. been a thousand days. <laughs> we can <laughs> walk out and not see our breath or be able to see walking in front of us because it was so steamy. Uh, you know, Ben, you have been around the block. You have been in the industry for quite some time. You know, We could argue that you could have taken your career any different direction you wanted to. You chose this to be your new home. Tell us about what interested you in a little more conversation. Yeah, I mean, I just feel like with all that's happened in the past a few years, specifically with, with with the pandemic having exacerbated a lot of the things we were seeing beforehand, that uh, that talk radio offers a really great opportunity to have those conversations. And and really, when I thought about what would be the best thing or the most interesting thing to do right now, it would be to sort of delve into things a little bit deeper. And the nice thing about having a show at the end of the day uh, is that you get to take a step back a little bit and reflect on what's happened. It seems odd talking about a news cycle that moves that fast, but it feels like nowadays the end of the day at least gives you a a bit of a breather to look back at what's unfolded during the day and and, uh, put some context around it. So we're really hoping that listeners will call in uh, you know, voice their opinions, their diverse opinions, all opinions welcome, um, and that we have a, a conversation about the issues that matter to Canadians these days. Oh, don't worry. The texters will definitely <laughs> let you know what they're thinking. And that that is a great thing. We, we do love that about, you know, this the talk radio formats, being able to have that conversation with people. So uh, before we get to that, though, if people don't know your name, tell us a little bit about Ben O'Hara Byrne. Who are you? Where have you been? And wh- what can we expect from you? Yeah, I mean, I grew up in Montreal, but uh, my mom worked in worked for the CBC for a long time. So and with and for CTV as well. I mean, and so I moved around the country a fair amount when I was younger. Uh, I lived in Alberta for a while. I've been out west now for a bit. I've been about just about everywhere across the country. So that's always been interesting uh, to find out more. And then I went into radio, like many of us, in, in sort of college radio in the mid '90s. 
and then and then eventually ended up in television uh, for quite a long time. Traveled uh, Open Global's bureau in or helped Open Global's bureau in Beijing uh, back in uh, late 2008, and so had the privilege of being able to see a lot of Canada. Um, and a lot of the world uh, doing this this job. So, uh, you know, that's always been one of the challenges always, especially internationally, was trying to make those more uh, complicated stories abroad make sense to a Canadian audience. And I think that may help here, too, in trying to make sense of a lot of Canadian stories for audiences that may necessarily, uh, that don't necessarily live in those specific areas to try and relate something that's happening in Hamilton to something that's happening in, in Victoria, for instance. What interests you, uh, Ben? I mean, obviously, you have to have broad interests to host a show like you're going to be doing a little more conversation kicking off tonight. Uh, what interests you? Well, I mean, I'm, I'm just curious. Uh, that's always been... I, I'm kind of interested in just about everything. I mean, I like politics, and I like, you know, I like uh, true crime. I'll, you know, listen to podcasts, and as many of us do. I like to read. But ultimately, what I really like is that I just find people interesting and i find stories interesting and what makes people do what they do has always been fascinating to me and that across a wide spectrum of stuff so uh you know i i really do like like history and politics and international affairs and sports uh and especially when they all combine in one as we've seen in australia this week i always find that even more more interesting uh but really it's it's about curiosity i just like finding out stuff and the aha didn't you know has always been what uh, what's really driven driven me over the years Looking forward to listening to you, Ben. You'll be heard on 770 CHQR and 630 Ched, 8 p.m. to 11 p.m. on weeknights. Thank you so much for joining us, and good luck with the new show. I know you're going to be great. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Ben O'Hara-Byrne, host of the new show that will air here on 770, uh, again, from 8 to 11 p.m. It's called A Little More Conversation. This is Motivational Monday, a chance to get you motivated for today and beyond. And joining us this morning is intuitive numerologist Vicki McKinnon. Good morning to you, Vicki. Thanks for joining us. Good morning, Sue. Nice to be here. I'm excited to hear what 2022 has in store for us. But first off, can you explain a little bit about what an intuitive numerologist is and does? Oh, gosh. Well, okay, so I have to tell you what numbers are. To a numerologist okay. and and then uh, we'll go from there so numbers are powerful centers of energy they represent different areas of our life different stages of our learning uh, they guide us to uh, greater fulfillment to live in as uh, the highest version of ourselves they uh, hold a wealth of knowledge about who we are who we're becoming and how we're meant to contribute in the world Vicky, when, when I hear numerologist, I think about, you know, visiting someone, giving them your birth date, your, maybe even the time that you were born. So you got the year, the day, the month, the minute. Uh, but when we look on your grand scale at a year, for example, at 2022, what can we take from 2022? Okay, so I, t- I take the, uh, the number 2022 and just add it up. That's the way numerology works. It's very simple as far as calculations go, and obviously that is a, a six, which is a much calmer energy than what we experienced last year. So for anyone who's um, sensitive, artistic, or empathic, this is your year. Uh, six is a, a number of balance and harmony. And, you know, that's not to say that our imperfect world is suddenly going to become a place where everyone gets along. But it's an idealistic number that it seeks fairness and it fosters a spirit of compromise. It supports 
healing and nurturing, strengthening, strengthening families and building communities. And uh, the sixth brings our relationships sharply into focus. So that's where we're going to find a lot of lessons and opportunities this year. The sixth, in a six-year, good relationships grow stronger. And, you know, we end up having to face the truth and make decisions and, and sometimes release any relationships that aren't strong that are, or that aren't in our best interest. So it sounds like you're feeling pretty optimistic about 2022. Are you? Do you see or foresee any any trends then when you look at the numbers? Oh yes, so you can usually uh, you know get an indication of potential trends with uh, a number like well with each of the numbers. So incoming uh, numeric energy is always going to bring new ideas and new issues into our awareness, and and it helps to create shifts in our collective mindset. So number six guides us toward courtesy, diplomacy, collaboration, reconciliation, and it calls us to really, I think of it as this is the call to be the change. Uh, I think um, people are tired of the conflict and the angry verbal exchange that's um, been dominating the news for the last number of years, mm-hmm. and, and I'd like to think anyways that, that we're going to have a little bit more of a, an effort to... Um, get along together and and to um, bring a a more kind and gentle energy into the mix here. So, yes, six is an idealistic number. The um, even numbers do tend to be grounded and a little more predictable than the odd numbers. So it's an idealistic number and it supports advocacy. Mm -hmm. It supports certain, uh, I think, certain groups in, in our world will be seeking meaningful reform here in the areas of education, justice, human rights. Those will be big areas this year. Um, I think it's been interesting that a settlement has just been proposed for the survivors of the residential schools because that's very aligned with six energy, reconciliation. Um, the past couple of years have been devastating for education, and I think this year's energy could support some efforts and initiatives to help get that back on track. The six has a lot to do with how we take care of ourselves and, and our families and our communities. And I, I can see that food will likely be a major theme this year. The supply, the distribution, the cost will all be top of mind. And I think the, um, we had a trend last year toward backyard and community gardens. And I think that's going to really accelerate this year. We've had a vigorous real estate boom and, uh, my sense is that that is going to reach a plateau by mid-fall at the latest. And before the year is done, we may start to see the pendulum swing toward a more balanced market mm. here. Um, apparently, some foreign, foreign investment has been a driving, driving some prices up. So I think there'll be a lot of talk and possibly even some concrete legal action around that. Uh, because, we're, you know, the concern is that people, you know, families have, safe and adequate housing. Uh, Six here brings people together. So I think we're going to start seeing meetup groups um, starting up again, probably in the spring. And uh, I also think that this is going to be typically a six years, a good year for weddings, births, and family reunions. I'm wondering. So those would be my trends for this year. Into okay. 2022. Good ones. And it does sound very positive, Vicki. So I'm wondering, you know, we look at 2022. If we were to have had this conversation with you at the beginning of 2020 in 2021, 
does this year just simply outshine those two due to the numerology uh, that we're witnessing, or you, what, did you see this uh, similar positives in 2020 or 2021? Well, 2020 was a four-year, and that set some uh, restrictions on us. Four is um, four is the number of the carpenter's square. It calls us to really hunker down and, and uh, do our work uh, very often, but it can also be very confining and restrictive. It's kind of a narrow number so so and that's the way we felt in you know early 2020 uh five is uh i call it the upset the apple cart number it's it's uh anything goes in a five year and it's not particular it's not always a comfortable energy to be with it's a very newsy year and if there's opposition people will have strong opinions and it will come out in a five year so that's what i took from that and the um um, be uh, acknowledged, sorry, that those are very narrow um, definitions of those numbers. There's an awful lot more to each of the numbers than what I have the time to tell you here. And Vicki, on that note, we're kind of running out, but we wanted to, you know, you've got three tips that you've put together for our listeners mm-hmm. moving forward for positivity. Mm-hmm. So can you kind of run through them pretty quickly for us and, and give everybody your three tips? Absolutely. The six is a duty year. People are going to be depending on you. So make promises and commitments carefully and honor them. You have to finish what you start in a six year. And so uh, think about these obligations and, and expectations. And if it's not a resounding yes, then it should be a no. Be mindful of the power of language. The words we say to and about ourselves and others shape our reality and our quality of life. And be kind to yourself and others. Never underestimate the importance of self-care and never underestimate positive impact that your small and thoughtful gestures can have on others. Love yourself a little more each day and you'll be happier and healthier. Love others a little more each day and the whole world will be happier and healthier. Excellent. It's very, very uh, concise. We appreciate it and uh, appreciate your time and insight this morning, Vicki. Thank you for spending some time with us. My pleasure. Thank you. That is uh, Vicki McKinnon, Intuitive Numerologist on Facebook. If you're on Facebook, you can search Know Your Numbers or you can send her an email at numerology at shaw.ca. Yeah, she'll do personal readings for oh you. And you can also, she does birthday forecasts on her Facebook page. Lots of information. Fun, interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for downloading and listening to the podcast. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review for free at Apple Podcast, Google Play, or wherever you find your podcasts. And tune in to Mornings with Sue and Andy from 530 to 9 every weekday morning on 770 CHQR.